0: Hello, and welcome to the Excellence Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Hulse, president of ERG Executive Search, an executive search firm headquartered in Appleton, Wisconsin. Today, I'm so excited about our guest who has shattered the glass ceiling of the spirits industry with her strength, innovation, and determination. Originating from a school project, she cultivated a business that turned heads in the beverage industry with its flavorful mix of drinks encased in a spherical container. Her journey is not only one about her distinctive products. It's about her extraordinary efforts to succeed as a woman in a male-dominated industry. Despite skepticism and initial losses, she poured her grit into building a multi-million dollar brand that is now a nationwide phenomenon. I am so excited to welcome to the Excellence Exchange Podcast, the founder and CEO of BuzzBall's Marilee Kick. Hello, Lee.
1: Hello. How are you, Sharon? Thanks for having me on here. Well,
0: thank you so much for doing this for us. I, I am so excited to share your story. So to have our listeners understand uh, where we met, um, I was just recently at the Enterprise Women Conference, and this lovely lady was just inducted into the Enterprise Woman Hall of Fame. So congratulations, by the way, on that. Thank you. So I had the pleasure of hearing your story when you were standing on stage, um, sharing your um, beginnings, if you will. So I'd love for you to share the story um, that you talked about before founding your business. Tell us a little bit about Merrily Kick before she became the CEO of BuzzBalls.
1: Yeah. So at the enterprising women con conference, I um, spent a lot of time explaining to the women there, not what I do, but why I am who I am. And a lot of that grit and determination and how it came about. And I think a lot of that came from my mother, um, which many of us Mm -hmm. have in common, you know, our strong female founders and strong um, backgrounds come from our mothers or our grandmothers. Um, so mine, I started out as a a kid that was born to a mother who was 17 years old. Um, she graduated, um, in the summer of her 17th year of age and had me the next year. So by the time she was 21, she had a master's degree in chemistry and a five-year-old and my father, they got married and, you know, they, they started life together and we were very poor. Um, I learned how to grow up on a farm and and sow and cook and butcher animals and you know learned how to take care of myself on a meager um, income that my mother made being a school teacher. Um, my father started a business um, a logging business when I was about 10 years old and it went bankrupt and during that time I was working for my father as well um, skinning these posts and poles it was a logging industry. And it was very heavy duty work, a man's type of work. But I did it with my brothers because that's all my parents could afford. Um, so we went bankrupt and we only had thirty two thousand dollars to feed the two families that owned this company that went bankrupt. So learned to live off hand-me-downs and, um, you know, not wonder bread, but homemade bread mm-hmm. and homemade mm-hmm. jelly and eat what we killed, you know, type of thing. So there's a lot of trauma and and fright and fear of being broke that came from my childhood. And I swore to myself that I would never let myself get into that situation in my life or do that to my children.
0: It is amazing how our upbringing shapes who we become ultimately as adults. Mm-hmm. And I was okay. so inspired by your story. I mean, we share somewhat the farming background as well. Wow. Um, ha- I also grew up on a farm, as you know, so I-, I just was so, um, just so enamored by your story and the fact that you used what most people or what some people anyway would use as, as a reason why not to be successful as the exact reason why you became successful, which is, which is admirable. So take us to the beginning of buzz balls and the Southern mm-hmm. champion. You're the founder so, um, CEO. I've
1: done a. Yeah, I've done a lot of different things in my life. You know, I've worked for Ross Perot as a computer scientist. I've worked for Computer Sciences Corporation as a consultant. I've lived overseas in Sweden, lived overseas in Africa. Um, I've been a, um, a news anchor for CBS News. I've worked in film and television. You know, I've done like a million different things. But then I got this job being a teacher, and I thought, Being a teacher is fun. My parents were teachers. Their parents were teachers. It's kind of in a long line of teachers. And I get summers off and I get holidays off. This is awesome. You know, I get to spend time with my kids. So I started becoming a teacher later in life, like toward my 40s. And, um, And when I became a teacher, they had a teacher enrichment program that I could go take and get my master's degree. So I wanted to get my master's degree and they would help pay for it. So I did that. And, um, the reason I really was pushing for it was I was about to get a divorce and, you know, after many, many years of marriage, um, I was, you know, we had grown apart from living overseas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just wanted to have a fresh start, but being a teacher, I didn't have a lot of money, made 50 grand a year. And I had to find a way to pay for college loans, take care of my kids who were in high school then and trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, so, I got my MBA as part of a, a plan to build a business plan to where I could start my own business. And so, Buzzballs happened to be my master's degree thesis project. And uh, I ended up grading papers by the pool, trying to figure out what I was going to get my master's degree thesis in, what project I was going to cover. And I had one of these round uh, snowball candles from Sweden made by Costa Boda. They're beautiful. And uh, I had one sitting outside with me. I was having a cocktail, grading papers. And I thought, why don't I make a little party ball, a little cocktail in a ball, you know? So came up with the name Buzz Balls and Party Balls both um, and came up with this idea, this concept to build an alcoholic cocktail in a in a ball that you could buy by the ball, not in a six pack, four pack, whatever. You know, you could buy it by the drink and mix and match your favorite flavors. So anyway, came up with this concept um and um did a lot of research and started the company after my master's degree thesis project.
0: I have to show our, because it's also done on video, we have some of the buzz balls Aww. here. I know. Yeah. And and I have to tell you I have to tell you this story, Marilee, because I thought it was so cute. So Um, I was out and I was shopping um, for buzz balls. I wanted to have um, a bunch for my staff to try. And I was in Walmart and the gal in Walmart, I asked her, I said, can you show me where the buzz balls are? And and I told her, I said, I'm going to be talking to the CEO of the company. She said, make sure and tell her they're delicious. (laughs) So I thought that was wonderful.
1: Thank you, lady at Walmart. (laughs) Right,
0: right. (laughs) I thought that was great. So. Obviously, starting a business, um, you and I both know there are challenges galore when you first start yeah. a business. Yeah. So talk to me about how did you manage to ensure that BuzzBalls would become successful? I mean, you became successful pretty quickly despite, you know, lenders turning you down, criticism from the industry. I mean... Being a, a woman in a man's world, there's all kinds of extra
1: Yeah, I don't think I happen. had criticism though. I didn't have criticism from the industry, um, because no one knew me. <laughs> no one had ever heard of me. Um, but what I did get criticism for was the name of the drinks, Buzz Balls. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, oh, that means you want to have people go out and get drunk, you know? And I'm like, no, it's just, it is what it is, you know? So it's, it's, it's a party in a ball, you know? So it's, it's a lot of fun I created it, but I didn't have any money. So one of the biggest obstacles was money. Another big obstacle is credibility because it is a man's world and me coming in saying, I created this drink and they're like, really, what's your background? Oh, I'm a high school teacher. Oh, it kind of stops dead there. It's like, oh, well, did you come from money? Did you come from, you know, I didn't come from money. I came from just grit and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out how to make this work. But, you know, it was, it's just an industry that I had nothing to do with. However, I thought about, you know, when I started the company in 2009, it was during the recession and I thought, what survives in good times and bad? And Mm -hmm. I thought, in every, every time of year, no matter what part of our, uh, life we lived in, um, booze, drugs, sex, gambling, all those things, those sins Mm -hmm. always survive. There's always a way to make them win. And I thought, well, you know, alcohol is probably the lesser of the evils there for me. And so I started with the alcohol side and, um, I've been lucky. Yeah. When, you know, we have good times and bad and it actually does better even during bad. We saw that during COVID. So mm-hmm. um, we've been going on this company now for 13 years and um, it's been
0: really exciting. Well, your story is, you know, again, I, I heard your story at the Enterprising Women, but since then I've read and your your story is so amazing. I mean, think about it, from zero to a billion in 13 years. That's such a rarity that you should be so proud of that. I mean, it's amazing. So I read that your husband was initially not real excited about this idea. He didn't really want to fund the idea. So, so how did you, how did you get over that obstacle? Was it the divorce or was there some other things that that there was no divorce? No, we actually didn't
1: get a divorce. We separated, but during that tenacious time, when we first Mm -hmm. started, when I started this company, we were about to get a divorce. And, um, you know, rightfully so I would be scared about my own money too. Um, but since we had lived overseas and I had been supporting his job all these years, um, and it sacrificed kind of mine, Mm -hmm. um, I really didn't have a lot of savings and I didn't have, um, anything other than his income that I could possibly rely on. Um, I did get some inheritance, like $28,000 from my grandfather and I used that. Plus I used the other money that he had given me prior to that, which was like I don't know, $68,000 or something like that. So I used that. Um, it, and that was what we put as a down payment on my house. So I had to go take out a HELOC, Mm -hmm. get an SBA loan and, um, put that 28,000 in. So I ended up getting an SBA loan that was $178,500. And, um, I was trying to get that SBA loan. And when, um, I was finally feeling like, yay, uh, this is actually going to work. You know, even though my husband and I are going to get a divorce, I'll get this loan. I'll get this thing started. I'll pay off the loan and everything will be good. Well, the banker then called me and said, everything's really good. Everything checks out you and your husband can come in and sign the paperwork. And I thought, oh, no, oh, shit. You know, he Mm -hmm. is never going to buy this. He's never going to want to do this. And I didn't tell them that we were about to get a divorce because then for sure they wouldn't give it to me because he was the only one that made any money. So, um, you know, I was terrified of that. I thought this is going to be the death nail, you know, in the coffin. And um, so I had to explain to him that, you know, I needed to um, get this SBA loan. And he took his money out of our joint account, his payroll that he normally got and moved it to a different bank altogether. Um, You know, he was scared. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, you know, so I I can't say he wasn't supportive, but he was scared for his own protection. Um, So I think that's kind of how it went. But we never actually got the divorce. We stayed together. And I did pay off that loan without his help. And um, I've been financially independent since then. Um, that's one lesson I would give to all women, always be financially independent, do whatever you have to do to be financially independent.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we're still together today. He's actually my CFO. (laughs) So, um, he's, he's, he's working for us. I did see that you have other members of your family in the business as well. Both your sons are in the business, Alex and Andrew. So there's a lot of people who listen to us that own family businesses,
1: Uh And
0: um, my ex-husband, when I very first opened work for me for a short period of time, um, probably the word ex tells you how well that went. So talk to me about having family in the business. How is it running a family business? Are there unique challenges to that? And or is it at this point kind of clicking along famously? Clicking along
1: famously. And, you know, for me, it was um, very selfish of me at the time to include my children um, in the business um, because I just could not bear to be away from them. I love them so much. You know, it was like I can't mm-hmm. fathom the thought of them moving to Boston or doing something else. You know, it's like I, I would, it would tear me up. You know, I just loved them so much and um, didn't want to be without them. So part of the reason I wanted them in the company was, so that I could see them every day. Mm-hmm. And I do get to see them every day. And I love that. And um, they have critical roles and functions within the organization. But when we first started, it was it was like, OK, I'm going to give you five percent of the company. I'm going to give you five percent of the company. I'll own 90 percent. And, you know, then, you know, so they had five percent each, the two boys. And, it, you know, it was also protectionary to like, if I got hit by a Mack truck or something, Mm -hmm. somebody else could carry forward the business and sign checks. But over time, they have become integral and critical with the operations and the sales of this business and analyzing the business. But at the very beginning, they weren't useless either. They were, you know, brainstorming with me and helping me with concepts and bouncing ideas off walls and asking crazy questions and, you know, making me form my opinions a little better.
0: I would think with what your product is, they would have unique insight into that generation and what would appeal to them. You know, it's you know, I of thought I thought at that. first
1: that that it would be young generational people that love mm-hmm. our cocktails. Um, I thought it would be college kids, but it's not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's really I can me. see that it it's, would.
0: I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's all ages. It skews mm-hmm. more for women. But our average age is thirty-five. Wow! Yeah, you know, which is crazy. You know, I mean, that's the predominant number that you know, women are thirty. They're affluent. They're you know, it's not skewing towards um, college demographic or anything. But it's I think mostly, it's the
0: perfect size cocktail. Yeah, for a woman, it is. It's cute. it is. It's, it's and it's, a, and it's gorgeous, and
1: it it packs. Up. You know, and I wanted to have something that you know, like when you sit on a plane and you have a beer you know, it's like this much liquid, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of liquid and you have to go to the bathroom and those bathrooms are gross. So, you know, it's like, I don't want to feel fat or bloated or right. drink so much alcohol or liquid that it just makes me feel huge, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to make something small in a small little container, you know, but
0: I love the it container. I mean, I much. just think this is just adorable. And the I love the flavor. This is my favorite, by the way.
1: Which one is it?
0: This is the uh, mango.
1: Ah, the chili mango. Yeah, Yeah, that's a new
0: one. I like the mango. Well, it's a good choice. I like it. So um, you transitioned high school teacher to running a billion-dollar company. Transferable skills? Talk to me about starting out the new company. You've been an instructor, teacher, and then moving into that business leader. Um, What skills were transferable?
1: Well, you know... I wouldn't say that, you know, I got all my skills from being a teacher. I had all those skills before I became a teacher. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I have a degree in, um, finance economics and computer science. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to get my master's degree in marketing and business. Um, and then I went on to Harvard, you know, so I went to Harvard to get, um, executive education, but, you know, I think the basics like Excel word, finance information, you know, like being able to read a PL, create a cash flow, create a balance sheet and understand how the money flows and how to budget, you know, like all those things became very critical. But I think one of the most critical things, too, is just research. Being able to mm-hmm. research is key. You know, finding answers like how many pounds per square inch of pressure goes on a spherical container wall when you have carbonation and it you know, just um, and how much sugar is in a Coca-Cola and how much sugar is in a normal mixed drink and how much, you know, how do you normally make this or that? Or what are the classic cocktails? Mm -hmm. Or how do I um, navigate the FDA system, Food and Drug Administration? How do you get a permit? You know, just all these things that you have to know Mm -hmm. and you don't know going into it. So you have to figure this out because no one's going to figure it out for you. And the longer you take, then the longer it takes to start your business. So you know those are all good things now what did the teaching do for me it helped me with presentations mm-hmm. you know i spoke every day i taught every day i had to prepare every day and i had different classes so i had to prepare a lot of se- sessions and seminars and one-hour speeches and so so i think it helped a lot from that standpoint um getting up in front of a bunch of people without feeling nervous or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And also being able to ad lib, being able to um, read and being able to and, and working at the radio station helped me be able to read gobs of text mm-hmm. without screwing it up, you know. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you just kind of build over the years with your
0: level of
1: of skill, depending on what you had in your background.
0: Well, and that's the thing I love about your background. If you think about the humble beginnings, the logging You know, farming. You constantly within your career took the next steps. I mean, you you had other positions, but every one of them layered on to what you had done before. But I do have to ask the question: Right? Other than maybe drinking at night because you were a teacher and you had to, that was literally your experience. (laughs) in alcohol (laughs) was was probably just having a cocktail.
1: Well, you know, it's funny um, when we lived out on the farm, when I was a kid, my mom made her own homebrew, her own beer, her own wine. She made us pick choke cherries and beets and currant berries, and she would use that to make wines. Um, And I I didn't know what she was doing, but I mean, I drank it when, Mm -hmm. when, when I was a little kid, you know, she'd have students over or people over and, and, and. She would serve them her home brew, and they would drink it. So I would drink I bet it too. But they love too, to come visit. But, yeah, well, you know, it's 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 one of those things. Like when somebody makes you their own homemade concoction, you mm-hmm. drink it, but it's not like something you're going to have often, you know. So, but she, we couldn't afford to to go buy wine from a store or something. So, so yeah. did so you that get was yourself a mentor?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you? How did you? Other than reading, but no. you can't. You can't read everything. I mean, did you just jump in and, and just learn, or did yeah. you have a mentor within the alcohol industry? I didn't know. I didn't have a mentor. Um,
1: but there was one guy I talked to after I was about out of money after my first couple of um, POs were filled, and then no POs came in. And I was terrified. You know, I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do? You know, I, I've got to have more orders. And I asked him, his name was Bert. And I said, Bert, can you come work for me? Can you be a, a broker for me? And he goes, Mer- Merrily, you're doing just fine. Um, he goes, are you going to go to WSWA? And I'm like writing it down. I'm like, what's mm-hmm. that? He goes, it's the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America. And it, it's a trade show type of thing, which is exactly what I've been looking for. But for mm-hmm. some reason, didn't research that. And um, so I didn't think something like that existed, but it did. And it was in Las Vegas. And so my oldest son, Alex, and I loaded up my my Saab car and it looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. And we were like loading up with like banners and samples and display racks and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And living very cheaply, got to Mm -hmm. Caesars Palace, shared a room. Even took ice from the ice machine on the floor because the bags of ice at the conference were $30 a bag. Um, You know, so did things like that, got through. And that was a big aha moment for us was when we went to this Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America, got the last Mm -hmm. 10 foot by 10 foot booth and um, showcased our product there. And people came by and they looked at it and they go, they hold up the buzz ball and they go, wow, this is weird. What is this? You know, it's a buzz Mm -hmm. ball. You know, this is what it is. And introduced it to a whole bunch of different wholesalers. And overnight, Sharon, we had 15 new states that were interested in carrying our product. These distributors, we had to sell through a distributor. Mm -hmm. So we had to rely on someone else to sell our product. So we were only in one state, Texas. But we ended up getting 15 states. Wow. Which was the time I felt like for the first time, hey, this, this might actually work. Mm-hmm. My son and I went to dinner that night at the Bellagio and we walked in after a hard day at that trade show, sweaty in our buzz balls, t-shirts and our jeans and, you know, brushed our hair, went to the Bellagio to have a steak dinner and a nice bottle of wine. And we walked up to the maitre d' and and she looked at us and she looked at our clothes and she goes, do you want to take a look at the menu first? <laughs> you know, uh, like the pricing. Yeah. And I was like, no, we're good. We're good. We're ready to go in. So so, um, you know, that was one of the first times that I felt
0: like, hey, this might actually work. You know, it's so funny because I talk often to my team about aha moments and that when <laughs> you go through that period of And everybody looks at your company and says, wow, they're so successful. They're an overnight success, but they don't realize all the hard work. I mean, I guarantee you, nobody thinks about you in your buzzball T-shirt at the Caesars Palace sweating, trying to get people to notice your product, right? So, you know, you and I have been doing our businesses. We've been in business a long time how do you have any advice for people on how they would acknowledge their own aha moment? You know, obviously something like yours where you figured out how to get in front of the right people, but are there other things that happened along the way that, that you kind of felt like, you know, I think it takes tremendous courage. I've always said there's a lot of values that I admire, but courage is probably the most significant because courage is the foundation for everything. Courage to love, courage to put yourself out there, all of those things, right? Were there, Other things that happened that you just knew that you were, you were right where you needed to be.
1: I think, you know, you're right where you needed to be after you've experienced the aha moment, but not before, you know, so when you are setting yourself up is where you don't realize the aha moment is coming. Mm -hmm. So like when I went to WSWA, that trade show, I didn't know what to expect, but we walked Mm -hmm. away with 15 new state contracts. The other thing that we did was we entered our buzz ball into a, our our Tequila Rita buzz ball into a competition there. It was like a taste test competition. We thought, well, why not? Why not? You know, we'll try it. So we did. And we ended up winning double gold, which means that all 50 judges in a blind taste test without even looking at the packaging, which is really amazing, named us number one. Mm-hmm. And so I literally screamed when I saw our little buzz ball in a display case at Caesars Palace winning number one. I couldn't believe it. You know, there's Tito's and all these big brands. Mm-hmm. There's Sutter Homes, Gallo, you know, all these big companies. And here's this little tiny buzz ball. And people are looking at it going, what is that? You know, so it was It was it was another aha moment and so excited, so uh, proud, took pictures of it, sent it back home to everybody that was working here in the warehouse. Um, You know, everybody was so proud of that moment.
0: They really are delicious. I mean, sometimes it's, oh, that's so cute. I'm going to buy it because the packaging is cute. I'm going to have a party. But they are all really good. Are you the were you the initial person who said, okay, I love this? and or I don't like that flavor. Let's do something different. I mean, how did you come up with all the flavors?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, number one, we come up with flavors because we, we think, oh, this will be really good for, for, for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like we'll try it, we'll taste it, we'll get it right. We'll reiterate, iterate, iterate, mm-hmm. iterate until we get it just exactly right. And then it's got to pass shelf life testing to make sure that it, it can survive this, you know, this the test of time on somebody's retail shelf um, and not taste gross after a short period of time. So there's a lot of science that goes into Mm -hmm. it. And and at first we didn't realize how much work it was, but we created the uh, like six flavors when we first started. Now we're up to 15 flavors, but we're not only just 15 flavors of spirit-based cocktails, we're also 15 flavors of wine-based cocktails, Mm -hmm. same flavors, but different alcohol-based and now we also have malt-based cocktails so we're the only woman-owned distillery Mm -hmm. winery brewery in the country you know those were other aha moments you know so it's like Mm -hmm. you never know when you're going to get these aha moments but when you get them you go oh my god it floats or oh Mm -hmm. my god you know it it, it, i'm the only woman-owned one i didn't know that you know so you know, just things like that come along. But I think the more you put yourself out there and set yourself up for success, you'll, you'll have those and you should Mm -hmm. act on them. You should act on everything that you think will in your gut make you be better.
0: So you've had year over year growth. So you've done a great job with that. Um, are there strategies that you are using currently to continue to grow the company? And if something doesn't, I mean, you and I both know that we can talk about successes all day long, but we've also experienced multiple failures to get to success. So Mm -hmm. how do you keep moving forward? What kind of strategies are you using to continue that year over year growth of buzz balls?
1: Well, um, we're, we're vertically integrated and we are a manufacturing company. Mm -hmm. So um, when you're manufacturing, you can either have somebody else make it for you or you can make it yourself. And when I started, I couldn't find anybody to help me. Um, No one wanted to help me. So I had to go figure out how to make machinery to create the buzz ball. So so that was the first feat, you know. Mm -hmm. So becoming vertically integrated was not really a matter of choice. It was a matter of necessity Mm -hmm. to create it. And now it saves us money by doing that, you know, because we we own our supply chain. Um, So we do everything from create the product to creating the packaging to inking the packaging, creating the batches, um, packaging it, filling it, putting it in
0: boxes
1: and then helping sell it and helping market it. When well, you're so a fabulous think economic that, you driver,
0: know, you, you employ what, 650 and people?
1: 650 people. We don't have any investors yet. Um, we have no debt, absolutely no debt. And we've never taken money out of the business either for like the first- 10 years of our existence, we never took any um, dividends. So we left it all in the business, used it for growth.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. So I do have to ask about the crystal snowball from Sweden. Yes. So mm-hmm. the, the thing that I'm getting here is that you can take ordinary life experiences and turn it into ideas. So mm-hmm. h- have you always been that way? Is that something that Um, you know, that's how your mind works. Talk to me about how the, a candle became buzz balls.
1: You know, I, I've always been one to create something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from my mom back on the farm, you know, it's like, well, I don't have any clothes. Well, then go make some, (laughs) you know, or I don't have jelly. I will go make some, you know, so Mm -hmm. go figure out what it is you want. And chances are other people want it too. And I use that in life as well. Um, if you think that you want, if think of a problem that you have, you know, um, any problem, you know, and then how would I fix that in a perfect world? Not, can I fix that? Not how would I fix that? But what would be the perfect utopia for that? Mm -hmm. And then work and research on how to make that happen and get the right people on how to make that happen. Um, so, you know, you can, you can apply yourself to something. You can't do everything. Right. But you can do some things, you know, and you can figure out people that can help you do that. Um, but but, you know, if 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 you don't take the step to create something, you know, a Facebook or a whatever, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to do
0: it for you. It's your idea. So,
1: so and the thing that I
0: loved about your story, too. I mean, it's obvious when you talk about your background, you were not 25 years old when you started. But no. so uh, right. what gave you the courage to start? something this, I mean, obviously you didn't, maybe didn't know initially it was going to be this big, but to start your own company, a manufacturing facility, all of that at your age. I mean, because most people think as they get older, it's too late. It's too late in my mm-hmm. career for me to do something that big. So I'm just going to forget it. So well,
1: obviously it's not too late. You know, right. I mean, you, can, you, you can do anything you set your mind to, And I was up against a wall because I was about to get a divorce and my choice was live in my car and, you know, pour in every ounce of money that I have to try to kick this off and it may fail or forever live and die this way, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you accept the status quo. And I wasn't sure I wanted to accept the status quo, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I wanted to jump off that cliff and see what would happen. And I was scared. But when your back's up against the wall, there are all kinds of things you will do to try to make sure that it doesn't fail because you can't let it fail. You can't afford to let it fail. So you don't have the luxury of sitting back and going on vacation or not working or, you know, geez, I'm tired. You know, no, that that doesn't play into your mind. It's it's a live or die type of thing. So, you know, I don't think it's ever too late or ever too early. But I think you have to set yourself up and you have to look down the road. And and figure out you know what do I need to do to stay on top because one yeah. success doesn't mean it's successful forever
0: right well and your grit is so admirable because you and I both know that if you're going to be successful in business it takes a tremendous amount of effort and grit to be successful yeah so yeah. Um, I have to when I was reading about your story one of the things that that I loved is in interviews, you've said you do not consider yourself a feminist, but you promote women. I'm very Mm -hmm. much that same way. I say the same thing. I'm not a feminist, but I want women leaders to succeed. So can you elaborate on your views of promoting women in business?
1: Well, you know, I don't try to promote women in business. It, it's just one of those things. I try to promote the best person, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they're a woman or a man. Now, I consider all kinds of things. Like if the woman is the primary caregiver, I consider that. Mm-hmm. But there's also men that are primary caregivers in their divorce situation or whatever life situation is. You know, if they say, well, I want to be a sales rep and I'm going to be on the road three weeks out of every month and um, I want this job. And I'm like, well, who takes care of your kid? You know, tell me mm-hmm. about your life. And they go, well, I pick him up from school and I drop him off at school. I, you know, it doesn't work. You know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work. And that kid's going to need you. And being a teacher and being a a mother that loves her children so dearly, I cannot do that to a kid. Right. You know, I don't care how much the person wants the job. It's about the kid and about that person's well-being as well, because it's only a matter of time until they go, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to take care of my family. My family comes first. Well, duh. You know, you should have thought of that from the get go. So. I promote the best person. Um, our company happens to be about half and half, half women, half mm-hmm. men. Um, and it's not a matter of quota to me. It's not a matter of um, checking a box that they're a woman. But I think women are just naturally better, most women, not all. But most women are naturally better at things that come to intense detail. Mm-hmm. Um, so accounting, HR, you know, those kinds of things. Um, They're very good at marketing and making sure all the ends are tied up. Um, I think they can be good at sales as well. Very good at sales. Um, However, there are things in sales that they're weaker at, like maybe most of them are not as good at golf. For example. Right. Well, a lot of business goes on the golf course, you know, and a lot of business is discussed over dinner where you're talking about the final four or or the football game or the person that scored the goal on the football game. And and those are places where I just check out. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I love sports. I love to watch. But I'm not a statistician on sports, you know, right. and I don't I don't listen to talk radio on my way in in the morning. I'm listening to Metallica or something else, you know, so
0: I love that. early <laughs> so. I would not have picked you as a Metallica person, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I agree, I think. But I will tell you, you are quite the influencer at Enterprising Women. I did not know about Enterprising Women before I was nominated for the award and and watching you and and your influence on the women in that room so whether you know it or not you are an influencer in the community of women and and i was so honored when you said that you would be on the podcast just simply for that reason alone so you've won dozens of awards most admired ceo and entrepreneur of the year enterprising woman of the year obviously and and also you just um went into the hall of fame wpo women to watch um what is the most meaningful recognition to you and and why was it the most meaningful
1: you know i'm I'm gonna have to answer that with uh what's most meaningful to me is running this company Mm -hmm. you know awards aside awards are great to get and we can apply for awards for recognition so that more people will know about our company right uh, from a marketing standpoint but my biggest satisfaction is being here with my kids and my family and running Mm -hmm. this company Pulling into the lot every day, knowing that I am putting food on 650 people's Mm -hmm. family tables and I'm making their lives better. I'm giving them a great place to work, a great atmosphere that just warms my heart. And when Mm -hmm. I do something and see their smile, you know, or they give me a hug, it's it's not like any other place where I've worked before, where, you know, people hate their job, hate their manager. This is a place that's like a family to me. So that to me is the best award that I
0: could have. And I do think some of that comes from being a female leader too. We have, we love family Um, and, and our, our business is family. That's another extended family. So I have to ask, what's the vision? Where is BuzzBall going in the future?
1: um, Well, we're, we're just dipping our toes into international. So we sell Mm -hmm. in all 50 states but we also sell in 27 countries and some of those countries are brand new to us. So we're just embarking into those, those territories and getting set up so that Buzzballs can grow there too. So we're getting some worldwide recognition for that. And so more international expansion will come. Um, we may even have some partners that we enlist, like say in Asia or Mexico or places like that, where, we want to not ship from the United States. We'd ship from over there in country Mm -hmm. um, either due to taxes or uh, due to location and shipping costs. So, so that'll be, the international piece of it will be big. And the other part is, you know, just finding R and D cool ways to reinvent your happy hour. You know, however you love to have happy hour, that's what we're here for and that's our company mission. And, I loved know, that to by to the way, that's your it. company
0: mission. I thought that was a great statement. So how do people get a hold of you? Obviously we are we're gonna have a buzzball party this afternoon. <laughs> Everybody's Wonderful. very everybody here is very excited about this interview as well because now I, they get to drink buzzballs this afternoon. Yeah, but how have do people get I know, right? So how do people get a hold of uh buzzballs and merrily Kick?
1: Um, well, we've got a, you know, we've got a couple of websites. We've mm-hmm. got buzzballs.com, all with Z's, no S's. And we've got um, southern-champion.com, um, which is where we sell some other different kinds of ready-to-drink cocktails and our spirits line, so vodka, rum, gin, and bourbon. Um, and then there's also LinkedIn, of course. LinkedIn mm-hmm. is out there. But don't spam me with LinkedIn, um, you know, of hey, how are you today? I want to um, tell you about da, da 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 and are you available it's Wednesday? You know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> those will get deleted. Yeah, so. mine too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Marilee, this was amazing. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And gotcha. I can't wait to share Buzzballs and your story with our listeners. And I want you to know I look forward to seeing you at least once a year, if not more. Um, and, and just getting to know you even better than I did at the last conference.
1: Yeah. If you come to
0: Dallas, come by and I'll give you a tour of the buzz factory. That's the deal. I do have a friend that keeps bugging me to, to come visit her in Dallas. So if I run down there, I will absolutely come see you. Wonderful. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.